Julie, welcome to Saltier Politics in week a million of quarantine. How <laughs> are you doing? Quarantine. I've actually been out and about. I mean, I've been out and about in Florida, but I think the problem is with everybody being out and about here that the virus is uh, growing and expanding. Right. So um, I have to say we went up to, um, you know, I have a house up in Massachusetts, which you've been to and you visited. And Massachusetts last week or two weeks ago finally started allowing outdoor dining. So we went and had dinner at a restaurant sitting outside last Friday, I want to say. Last weekend, I thought I was going to cry. I was so happy. I was so happy. I could not even begin to tell you just to have somebody come and take my order and get me a drink. And then I looked at the check and I started laughing because I realized the two Tito's and sodas that I had at that restaurant literally cost the same as those big jug gallons of Tito's um, that you could buy at a liquor store. Like they were about the same amount of money. And I thought to myself, oh, my God, the sticker shock that people are now going to be experiencing when they see the markup that restaurants have put on liquor um, all these years is pretty funny. But it was so nice just to sit outside and have somebody get you a drink and, and, and a nice meal. And I've been cooking a lot at home. I've actually become a pretty adventurous chef in quarantine. But it was still so nice to have somebody get you something to eat that you're not good at making yourself. And it was just great. It's different with takeout, too, because when you pick up and bring back, by the time you get it, it's not yeah, the same at all. It's not. You have to plate it yourself. I mean, I look, this is like a first world problem. A hundred percent. I feel kind of ridiculous even complaining about it. But there is something to be nice uh, to be said for how nice it is to just sit outside. And especially in the Berkshires where you've been, um, this particular restaurant, if anybody's ever up um, in that western Massachusetts area, and they want to visit a restaurant called Cafe Adam in Great Barrington. Um, they had a very limited menu. Their usual menu is incredible and expansive and adventurous and really just a fantastic place to eat. But this was a much more limited menu. But still, you're sitting there. You've got the beautiful mountain air. Um, and it's just nice. It was just nice and relaxing. And as Dr. Factory said, we're still in wave one. Wave two, he thinks, is coming. The president does not. And Mike Pence does not. Mike Pence thinks the worst is behind us. Well, I mean, it'll be exciting to see not only in Tulsa, but in Jacksonville when uh, for Trump's rallies to see how if there's any spread and who is blamed for that. Well, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Tulsa County has seen a spike just in the last week in advance of this rally of a 60 percent spike in cases. And it's not because of more testing the way Mike Pence wants us to believe. There are more hospitalizations um, in Florida and Alabama, the Carolinas. Um, it seems like New York, New Jersey, I think Maryland, other states have bent the curve because they've been responsible in, in what they've been doing. Your home state of Florida, Emily, is a disaster, as it always is, politically. And as a, as a result, you have massive spikes going on, which is awful. And it's especially awful because there seem to be a lot of elderly people in Florida. At least every uh, relative I have over a certain age, as not every, but a lot of them, decamp to southern Florida. And uh, and so it's, it's, it's troubling. It's troubling for a number of reasons. But hopefully we will be, um, at least here in the Northeast, where people have been acting somewhat responsibly, the curve has been bent. I am appalled, by the way 
By the way, anybody who goes to this Tulsa rally after having to sign a liability waiver saying they're not going to sue Donald Trump or the campaign for getting coronavirus. I mean, if you go and you get coronavirus, I'm sorry. I really am. But to me, it's almost like blaming somebody who decides to be a pyromaniac and then gets burnt. Right. You don't play, you don't play with matches, you don't get burnt. And these people, this is going to cost lives. It, it just is. And there's just so much empirical data to stress that you should not be in crowds indoors without a mask. And, and none of that is happening in Tulsa. I mean, the leadership in Tulsa is begging Trump to cancel. Well, in Orlando, we have a Democratic mayor, both in and of Winter Park, Buddy Dyer, and then Demings. Right. Um, and they said, under no circumstances will there be anything happening in Orlando. And it's also the the local leaders protecting the citizens here, whereas Jacksonville is much farther north. It just is another, it's, you know, I don't know if you've read excerpts of the John Bolton book that came out this week. Oh, Yes. Um, did you know Bolton when he was at Fox? Did you ever deal with him? I did on Sundays. He worked weekends and um, I would write intros for his segments. So the one thing about John Bolton, it's very funny. I read an article by Bill Crystal, who's a uh, conservative anti-Trump um, stalwart, you know, worked for Dick Cheney, has, has been, you know, his father was a neocon Bill Crystal. I mean, Bill Crystal's Republican bona fides are as dyed on the wool as can be. They're not Trump bona fides, but then again, I don't think Trump and the Republican Party ever had much in common until he took it over. He, he was greeted like a liberator um, with flowers. They just, they just rolled over. But um, Bill Crystal wrote that you can see a lot of things about John Bolton, but he's not a liar. And he went through, you know, he's ornery, he's this, he's that, he's not a, you know, he doesn't have a sense of humor. And I kind of stopped and I said, whoa, hold on. Because I used to be on Red Eye with John Bolton quite a bit. John Bolton is hilarious. I mean, he's completely unhinged and I could not disagree more with him on his policy views. And there's never a war that John Bolton has seen that he doesn't want to enter or start. But I will say this, John Bolton, if you know him personally, I've, I've seen him as a, as a pretty funny guy. I guess nobody else has seen it, but I think viewers of Red Eye, um, whoever they may be, would agree that he is very funny, very dry, so dry that you might not think that he's being funny, but that's neither here nor there. If you read John Bolton's book, which I have not, but I've read the excerpts in the Times and the Wall Street Journal, he says that Trump really doesn't care about anything but himself because one example is he was asking Xi Jinping, who's probably the most dictatorial leader, premier of China since Mao Zedong, um, has really consolidated power in kind of a Putin-esque way there to help him, to help him with the election. I mean, literally. Farmers. He said straight up it would helpful if China yeah. bought soybeans and all right, that from farmers. Them. Right, because I need the farm vote. It's very important to me. So first and foremost, literally having somebody come and ask a foreign leader whose interests, let's be clear, are, are adverse to our own, our national interest, to help him. And this, and we can get back to that in a second, but this Tulsa thing, this Tulsa rally is part and parcel to me of that because this rally is Trump doing what's good for Trump. He, his ego needs to be fed. He needs to have the adulation. He needs to have the MAGA crowds. He needs to bask in that. He's uh, kind of Castro-esque in that way. Um, but what's fascinating to me is that um, that's the same as the China thing. He doesn't really care about the national interest. He doesn't give a damn 
about the people at that rally other than they are props who will applaud him and respond to his words. And it's what Howard Stern said. He has massive disdain for his own voters. If he cared at all about his own voters, he would understand that they should not be going to a indoor rally without a mask for the sole purpose of cheering him on and giving him unlimited time on cable TV, because of course, you know, the cable networks are gonna go to him when he does this, as they always do. They shouldn't, by the way, they should not reward or encourage that kind of behavior, but they will. No, and it's also the reporters who go to this event. What they're gonna, I, they're gonna be put in harm's way too. But it's like, do you cover it or? Well, you know, I would say this. Um, I would not cover it, and I will tell you why. Um, no more than I would cover um, somebody committing a murder, right? Like you just don't. Right. And and because what you're doing is you're modeling awful behavior. And I know that it's not for the networks to be the arbiters of whether um, something is good behavior or bad behavior. They cover the news. However, this is truly putting somebody in harm's way. It just is. And I don't recall cable news covering any other president, George Bush, Barack Obama, you know, any other candidates wall to wall the way they do with Trump's rallies. It helps them because ratings, obviously, it helps their ratings. And it helps Trump because it helps his ratings, obviously, if he's the only game in town. But it's unhelpful and it's it's irresponsible and it's generally unhelpful. And again, if you are a Trump voter, consider the fact that he's acknowledging that you're going to be in harm's way. That's why he's making you sign a liability waiver. I have been involved in a lot of campaigns. I have been involved in organizing a lot of rallies. I mean, with Barack, with, with presidents, with the vice presidents, um, for the last probably 20, 25 years. Never in my life has it ever occurred to me or to anybody I know to ask any participant to sign a liability waiver. Just, you don't. And it probably never occurred to the Trump campaign either until they realized, oh my God, there's a lot of liability we have here because people are going to get sick. So just understand, he does not care about you, MAGA voters. He just doesn't. And you're being duped. And Howard Stern was right. He has disdain. They are props and nothing more to him. He could not care less about people in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in the the state of Oklahoma or in the surrounding states. He disdains them. I think he just disdains anything that doesn't help him because what really killed me was to see the uh, putting off of the Uyghurs with concentration camps. God, um, I mean, and being okay with that and not having any immediate, like, even hesitation. Yeah. Taiwan. I mean, a democratic Taiwan. And look, this, the United States government has um, betrayed Taiwan, going back to Richard Nixon. And there's something to be said for um, a closer relationship with mainland China, but not to the extent that Trump has tried to do. Not by encouraging genocide of the Uyghur Muslims. Um, but he's just uninformed. I mean, he's just uninformed because Bolton also says that he actually asked if Finland is part of Russia. So my best friend in high school, her mother was Finnish. I cannot tell you, and of course I'm Russian, I cannot tell you how much of a hard swallow it was for her to have her daughter be best friends with the Russian. Obviously she understood our history, understood we weren't Russian, but the Finns hate the Russians. 
The Russians have tried to invade Finland. They have. Finland has been colonized by Russian czars. I mean, this is, you know, there's a long history of, of Finland being oppressed by Russians. Um, and in 1940, the Finns actually, as part of World War II, um, the Russians, of course, try to annex part of Finland again, if not all of it. So the Finns hate the Russians. For, for, for Trump to not even note that history or to not even understand, how do you think that Finland is part of Russia? Like it's a it's a country. Have you never heard of a country called Finland? It's I mean seriously, like is this man the president of the United States and he's never heard of an independent nation called Finland? I'm not suggesting that you know the history of the Finns. And no, the but if you know just geography, I, I mean I'm not even asking him to place it on a map, even though I think rudimentary education would dictate that you can locate Finland on a map. But let's say that you cannot locate Finland on a map. I'm not even going that far. You really don't know that Finland is an independent nation? Bolton, look, Bolton has his own agenda, which is, of course, he's ticked off at the way he was treated. Um, the one thing I will say for Bolton is you can call him a lot of things. You can't call him a patriot. Oh, no. It was he he's putting it on the Democrats about not uh, testifying. I, I just he just wanted to save it for his book. Yeah, and I'm like, that's just as self-serving as Trump does in a lot of ways. And that's probably what that's a similar character trait that I think he's calling I mean, out. And Trump. I hope his two million pieces of silver, which is the book advance that he got on the book for the book, um, were worth it. But by the way, he said straight up that the crux of the impeachment matter, which is that Trump was suborning our foreign policy to help um, his narrative about Hunter Biden, was absolutely true. Well, if that's the case and you witnessed it and you believe that the president did something that is impeachable, why in God's name would you not testify at the impeachment trial? There's only one answer. He wanted it for the book. And that is as self-serving and as disgraceful and as unpatriotic a thing as I can possibly imagine. I mean, imagine if John Dean had just said, oh, I'm saving it for the book. I'm not going to cooperate with the Watergate investigators. It's just especially John Bolton, who's been around a long time. And maybe John Bolton wanted to also save it because he understood that he still has a, wants a future in the Republican Party and some future Republican administration. But even John Bolton has to be realistic enough to know that Trump has fundamentally altered the Republican Party and that he is dead as part of a future Republican administration as long as Trumpism infects the Republican Party. And I, for one, believe wholeheartedly if Donald Trump were to lose... Trumpism will still infect the Republican Party, and John Bolton's not a young man, and he will not live long enough to see a Republican Party that has returned to its rightful place as a center-right party. Well, or even or even not a center-right party, but as a party based in any principles whatsoever. I mean, it used to be the Republican Party actually had principles. They may not have been principles that I agreed with, but they had principles. Today, the only principle, the only governing principle of the Republican Party is what is best for Donald Trump personally, for his business, for his children, for his ego. It is not what is best for the nation. So I sent you this um, op-ed by Michelle Goldberg earlier in about and about this the amazing decision, by the way, for LGBTQ rights. Uh, do you think that because it was a conservative court, it was more impactful for the future and for the decision. I wanted to get your opinion on that because was the whole Buck Gorsuch thing worth it as well for all of these people who voted for Trump and said, well, at least we're getting a conservative court. Well, this major decision here 
kind of just is either more salt in the wound. You know what's interesting to me? I, I thought it was a great op-ed. I thought she raised a fascinating point, which is that, look, I think the Republicans have made a lot of accommodation. Mitch McConnell, especially people like that. I've made a lot of, actually, I shouldn't say that about Mitch McConnell. I think Mitch McConnell's only governing principle is what's best for Mitch McConnell. But I think a lot of otherwise well-meaning Republicans have said, you know what? We don't like Trump. We don't like what Trump stands for. We don't like his tone. We don't like his tenure. We don't really tenor and his tenure both. We don't like his politics, but we have a court, a Supreme Court and a strong majority. And we would never have had Neil Gorsuch on the court if Hillary Clinton had been elected. And we certainly wouldn't have had Kavanaugh and um, and we should vote for Trump again because Ruth Bader Ginsburg is, is frail and, and who knows how many more people a second term Trump can appoint. Um, I think that the one thing that Trump has done for his base that he's really delivered on, and look, Roe versus Wade is still the law of the land. I don't care how many pro-life justices you put on the court. Um, and, but there are two things that Trump did that I think are inherently helpful. And not just Trump, but the Supreme Court has done, a conservative Supreme Court majority has done that are helpful to the Republicans long-term well after Trump, and you can only get there with a Republican president. One is they have stacked the lower courts, the appellate courts. All Mitch McConnell is doing, I don't know if people realize this, because while they're not doing anything on the coronavirus anymore, while they're not doing anything for the states or for relief or for anything else, Mitch McConnell is like a automaton stacking the courts. That is what they're voting on in the Senate right now, nonstop, stacking the courts with conservative judges. And I think that's something that Republicans who care about this issue pay attention to. And in that sense, Trump has been more than worth it to them. Um, even if Gorsuch screwed them as they would have believed on this particular LGBT issue, um, they are getting 99.9% .9 of what they want. They would never get that out of a Democratic uh, president. The second thing this conservative court has done, which is worth it for them, is it has completely loosened any electoral responsibilities in the states. So that it used to be that Southern states, for example, could not have done what Georgia did the last time around. Other states are doing, which is really disenfranchising minority voters. Um, the Supreme Court has allowed voters to be disenfranchised time and time and time again. Who does that help? It helps Democrat, uh, Republican governors. It helps Republican senators. It helps Republican presidential candidates long after Trump is gone by making it harder for especially communities of color and people without public transportation um, or private transportation for that matter, um, poor people to vote. Well, who does that benefit? The Republican party. So in that sense, I, th I think Michelle Goldberg's point is well taken, but if I were a Republican, I would still think that Donald Trump is well worth it and this court is well worth it. And more importantly, the lower courts that set so much uh, of the precedent for this that the Supreme Court then has to obviously take up because the lower courts are ruling on things all the time that help Republicans and help conservatives that never even get to the Supreme Court. And if they do, nine times out of 10, the Republican majority, the conservative majority rules with those lower courts that Mitch McConnell has done a masterful job of stacking. Okay. So it's a great day for the LGBT community. Um, I'm pleased that Gorsuch and Roberts, um, and Roberts of course is a George Bush appointee, but that Gorsuch ruled the way he did um, I'm thrilled that he did, but on balance, right. they got more than they could have ever hoped for 
with this court. I, I wanted to bring up kind of a little philosophical discussion with it. So do you think it's disingenuous of the GOP who disagree with Gorsuch's interpretation where he considers under Title VII sex to include gay Americans and transgender Americans? Um, for example, if you transfer that to the Second Amendment and you say, you know, they considered to bearing arms an AK-47 and a Glock, those kind of guns, like those who, I guess, criticize this interpretation of sex, wouldn't it be good now to not criticize that way of looking at it because that's what they're doing with the Second Amendment very much? Look, everybody's a hypocrite, right, when it comes to their pet issues. If you wanted to make an intellectual argument for something, you can make it. Right. Right. If you're smart enough to actually try to make an intellectual argument, you can. There is enough data to fit whatever your worldview is on anything. You can always find it. Um, I mean, even COVID, right? It's obvious that COVID cases are rising in places where more people are not protecting themselves. They're not social distancing. They're not wearing masks. You know, they're not abiding by by the things that other governors in states have done that have bent the curve, um, like your governor in Florida. But I'm sure there's probably some heritage foundation or where I should just pin it on them. I'm sure there's some sort of quasi-intellectual argument you could always make for why that's wrong. Um, it doesn't mean that I would agree with it or think much of the intellect, <laughs> intellect making that argument, but you could always contort yourself into some position. If you want, look at the Republican Party. They have, you know, including a lot of people that were previous never Trumpers who have contorted themselves, including some of my old colleagues at Fox, I mean, have contorted themselves into a rationale as to why, intellectually, as to why Donald Trump is fine. I mean, he stands for everything they've espoused being against. Look at the evangelicals. Right. What in God's name, no pun intended, is Donald Trump representative of? He's done the opposite of pretty much all the Ten Commandments. His entire life is a violation of the Ten Commandments. I mean, literally. He's got more support among white evangelicals than he does among anybody else. Why? Well, they have intellectualized in their own mind that he's, you know, a messenger from God to, to bring about the courts that they want, or maybe it's end times that they want. I mean, I, God knows. I don't even know what how they've intellectualized it. Okay, well, I wanted to bring up um, Lift Our Voices, because you had quite a popular text talking about the ABC News. And if you yeah. want to talk a little bit about that, because so your text was, it's fascinating, or your tweet was, it's fascinating that so many news organizations, which are ostensibly dedicated to investigative journalism predicated on transparency, are so willing to cover up their own wrongdoing through the use of NDAs. It would sound to me like if you are a news organization that is predicated on people giving you proprietary information. I mean, look at where the big breaking news stories have happened, right? I mean, if you're an investigative journalist, you are, in fact, getting people to talk to you that should not be talking to you, either because they're government whistleblowers. Um, look at the most famous whistleblower, not whistleblower, the most investigative case of all, you know, we go back to Woodward and Bernstein. Um, and Deep Throat, Deep Throat turned out to be the deputy um, head of the FBI, the number two guy at the FBI. I mean, that guy should not have been which is a federal agency. I mean, that guy should not have been talking to the, to Woodward and Bernstein at all. But nevertheless, the Washington Post got him to do it. And 
I'm sure had he been discovered as the whistleblower, it would have been bad for him. And that's just one example. Daniel Ellsberg in the New York Times. I mean, all, all sorts of all sorts of investigative journalism has been done because of whistleblower situations. And the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the Washington Post today, when they have people inside the White House close to Trump leaking information that I'm sure that violates a lot of you know the policies in the White House. Obviously, nobody's authorized to talk to the press um, unless they're officially authorized in any government agency. So it's striking to me that news agencies or purported news agencies insist on NDAs to prevent the truth from coming forward. And it's just amazing to me. I, I don't get it. And ABC is a prime example of that. ABC has done some groundbreaking investigative journalism. But there are obviously people who feel that they were subjected to a toxic work environment by a woman who worked there and that they want to speak up, but they can't because they're bound by very stringent NDAs that prevent them from talking about it. That's awful because if this were, uh, I'm making this up, but if this were NBC News, ABC News would be doing its damnness to get to the bottom of the story, as all news organizations would be. And it's just interesting to me that there are, I mean, it's not just Fox, it's not just ABC, NBC has NDAs, CBS, I mean, all of them. Every, I mean, the New York Times, I think, probably has one or two NDAs with people who've left the organization. I don't know that. Actually, I do know that for a fact. Um, Bloomberg LP, we all know, has NDAs, and, and, and here's Bloomberg running a media organization. Again, how do you make the intellectual argument? We go back to the intellectual argument for this. How do you go back to the intellectual argument for this? Where, if people are just curious again, because we haven't talked about Lift Our Voices in a while, where can they go? Well, they can go to, thank you for saying that. Um, they can go to liftervoices.org. We actually um, have a bunch of exciting news coming out in the next couple of weeks on stuff that we've been working on, initiatives that we're doing. Please go to the website, liftervoices.org, and contribute. No amount is too small. No amount is too large. Um, tax deductible, which is nice. Tell me more relevantly, it's Pride Month. Oh my gosh, Julie, I am so excited about this decision because I was so mad on the Friday, last Friday, when um, the Trump administration made the decision with DHS to ban a lot of transgender and, and to take a lot of the civil rights protections away from transgender Americans. So I was horribly angry. And then come this landmark decision from the Supreme Court that can protect my job and everybody's job in the LGBTQ community, it's it's amazing because, you know, I, I forget who said the quote, like, not everybody gets married, but everybody, almost everybody works. So this yeah. is protecting so many people and it makes me just so happy. There's, there's definitely more work to be done, but I think this is probably one of the biggest landmark cases to go through the Supreme Court. But this also goes into what I'm kind of salty about, because this was another part of history that I had no idea about that I learned through reading about the decision. It was in a New York Times op-ed piece um, by Spencer Lindell. Anyway, about the uh, lavender scare during the Cold War. Um, quote, the McCarthyist campaign during the early years of the Cold War to vilify alleged communists, mm -hmm. far fewer learn about the concurrent lavender scare, a much larger wave of repression that gained 
force in 1953 when Dwight Eisenhower signed an executive order banning gay men and lesbians from all jobs in government. All told, between 5,000 and tens of thousands of gay workers are estimated to have lost their jobs. Yep. Didn't know about that. Uh, did not learn that in the history books. Another thing, like we talked about last last week, the Tulsa massacre. This is something I had no idea about. And I think the part that is upsetting for a variety of reasons is that people are saying, people who are opposed to this are like, well, you're infringing on my religious beliefs and I don't want to hire gay people to work against my religious beliefs. Uh, it used to be that it would be against your religious beliefs to have racial intermarriage, right? Yes. You can't discriminate against somebody based on their race. I go back to this. You can't discriminate against somebody based on their disability. And for the life of me, I don't get it. This is not a lifestyle choice. This is, you're discriminating against somebody based on the fundamental characteristic that they were born with. Right. Your gender, your sexual orientation, the color of your skin. None of that. I can no more decide to become who was that woman, Rachel, whatever her name was? Dolezal, Rachel Dolezal. Yeah, who decided she was no longer white and she wanted to be black. Like, Can't do it. Can't, you know, I can no longer, you want to live as a black woman, that's different. But, like, I can no more decide that I am a different race than I am, right? I can, I can change religions, by the way. I can convert to a different religion. That's not a problem. But... How do you tell, and, and by the way, I can no more decide tomorrow that I'm gonna be gay, like I was born straight. Why is that okay? But discriminating against somebody who was born gay, not okay. Or, or that is okay, get that discrimination. Why, like what, it, it's a fundamental thing that people don't get to choose. You don't get to choose <laughs> how you're born, I, you know. I completely agree. What, I mean, what is making you salty this week? As if we haven't covered enough of things to be um, salty about. You know what's making me salty this week? Um, John Bolton. Yeah. Making me salty. And we talked about it before. I just don't, it's so, it's so depressing. Actually, two things are making me salty. Um, there's a case that came out, Newsweek broke a story about an alleged rape that happened in New Jersey. Um, and the woman came forward. She came forward to state troopers. Um, she not forward. She you know went to the police. The police happened to be state troopers. State troopers believed her, arrested the alleged perpetrator. The prosecutor's office overruled the state troopers um, because he, this guy was allegedly a, the son of a very politically connected man. Um, basically, not only dropped the case, but if you read this Newsweek story and you believe what happened. Um, and a lot of this is through depositions, so I assume people wouldn't perjure themselves under oath. Um, the prosecutor's office basically told the victim, alleged victim, to drop the case, really pressured her to do that. Um, and the troopers who witnessed this were appalled, filed a complaint against the prosecutor's office because they thought the prosecutor's office was acting unethically, filed it with the state police, um, and allegedly their hires up at the state police um, rather than doing the right thing, started investigating the troopers for, um, through internal affairs for, for doing this. Disbanded the troopers unit and sent them, dispersed them to other parts of the state 
Um, the governor of New Jersey, a self-styled progressive, was asked about this yesterday, um, stuck by the state police, did not have a positive word to say for the victim, not one. And it just reminds me again, and this is despite this breaking in a national publication, um, apparently very well sourced through deposition documents, um, court documents. Um, you know, it's not, it's not even making me salty. You know, I've been very involved in all this Me Too stuff um, for, for many years. Gretchen Carlson and I and Diana Falzone um, launched Lift Our Voices. What is so sad to me um, is that it's like one step forward, two steps back. And this is not a, it's not even a partisan issue. It's not like, oh, Republicans bad, Democrats good, or vice versa. It's, it's impacting every single, everyone. Everyone. And I mean, this is the progressive governor of New Jersey. It's, it's you know, this is not the first time that he's sided with the men in his inner orbit and, and never had a nice word to say about any of the women who were victimized. It's, it's just despondent. I'm despondent about it. It's just depressing. It's dispiriting. It's, um, it makes you think, God, we have so much work to do. You think about the Me Too movement and how much it's already done in the last few years. But you just realize how much further we have to go. Uh, you know, as I'm sure people in the Black Lives Matter movement believe. You see these George Floyd uprisings and these George Floyd um, uprisings in a good way, these protests, people are talking about things they haven't really talked about. Public opinion is on the right side of history, finally, on this issue. And then you see another black man getting shot in Atlanta, <laughs> parking a lot of Wendy's. Right. Um, and I'm sure if you're somebody who's as intimately involved in the Black Lives Matter movement as I am in the Me Too movement, you kind of think, oh my God, We've come so far, but yet we have still so much to go, so far to go. And that's exactly what I thought when I read that Newsweek story and heard the governor's comments yesterday. Um, we have so much further to go. So it's not making me salty. It's making me just even more determined. Julie, I am right there with you. It's 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 exactly like you said, like even with the gay, rate, gay rights, um, you're seeing all these uh, black transgender women killed. Uh, and, and it's like you're, we're seeing all this movement and we now just can't be fired from work, but you're still seeing cover-ups of deaths and horrible yeah. killings and, and, and lessening the humanity of certain classes of people. And it's, you know, we're going to do it. We're going to move, move steps forward, but sometimes it can be a lot. It's a lot. And, um, you know, I say that as the mother of a, uh, of a kid, of a young kid. I think Who's that's driving me crazy right now because if you heard that ring, that is um, because his iPad is connected to my phone and his friends have been FaceTiming him nonstop 24 seven. And literally this begins at six o'clock in the morning and does not end until after I go to bed. And um, he's got a hopping social life. They, there we go. Well, um, so on that note, I'm, he's not even here, by the way. So and it, look, he just—he's reminding you. He's reminding you, hey mom. It's not him. It's not him. It's all his friends. It's like three <laughs> guys. That, those rings. That was this third person. That was the same person. When I declined to take the call because it's ringing and it's interrupting this thing, he keeps calling back. Like, dude, get the clue. Like, don't call back. But 
Right. Nevertheless, um, that's what being the mom of an eight-year-old boy is. Emily, when are you coming back north? Is that ever going to happen or are we forever stuck? There we go again. It's definitely going to be in July. And when it is, we can properly um, get over overpriced drinks and happily cheers. 100% getting um, drinks. I don't know if you could edit that sound out, by the way. Maybe you shouldn't so people understand the um, nightmare that I've been living in since six o'clock every morning not ending until oh no we're keeping that in there (laughs) okay Um, all right yeah all right thanks everybody